0: It's a joy to stand before you this morning. These days, you can find me almost anywhere on this campus on a Sunday morning. Uh, Now that I'm caring for birth through 18 years old in a more active way, it's a a real honor. Uh, God has been good to us in this transition. Lots of people have asked, how's it going? And it's great. It's wonderful to serve under Pastor Colleen's leadership and to be very active in the lives of of children uh, and families. And God is really blessing us. We're seeing new families come into the life of the church, new babies being born. And we have a great team of volunteers. We can always use more, hint, hint. But The team that we have has been excellent, and it's just very rewarding to see them teaching here on Sunday mornings and loving our kids and families. These last three days, I've spent time at a church in Oregon, a little church in Oregon, helping them with their children's and youth ministries. And as we were talking, they want to go from where they are right now to build a solid foundation and go forward. And I thought about, I'm living out 1 Corinthians right now, because that's what we have been doing in this series. We have been Sitting down to talk about life together and what it means to uh, not that picture yet to build uh, <laughs> to build a, to build a foundation and she took us through this passage last week where we talked what it means to build a foundation and We are here this morning to be encouraged to keep doing that. And I found this picture because this is what I was doing the last three days, is helping this church to take their church off the foundation, keep it going, but work on the foundation. This is actually a free Methodist church in Indiana a long time ago. You can tell by the build of the church and the uh, quality of the photograph that they lifted their church off and began to build. Or they had a foundation under that other one that wasn't too good and they were building a new one. In any case, let's imagine for a moment that building codes would actually allow you to still meet in that church while you're working on the foundation. That is 1 Corinthians. And actually, that is all of life in the church. That we are constantly working on that foundation, and we're building it. And we are working through this together. So let's keep going. Let's keep building our foundation. I want to start this, this morning, by reading a letter to you, which is almost certainly an urban legend, though it has not been proven either way. So what? It's still a good story, and perhaps you've heard it before. A man writing to his insurance company, Dear Sir, I am writing in response to your request for additional information in block number three of the accident reporting form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You asked for a further explanation, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade, and on the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found that I had some bricks left over which, when weighed later, were found to weigh. 240 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. I can hear it already. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 240 pounds. You are sharp. You know what's going on here. You will note on the accident reporting form that my weight is 135 pounds. (laughs) Physics. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the banged-up head, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone, as listed in Section 3 Accident Reporting Form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which I mentioned in paragraph two of this correspondence. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope, in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground— and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. I wish I had a video of this. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and several lacerations of my legs and lower body. Here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks, and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, as I lay there on that pile of bricks in pain, unable to move and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. And I lay there watching the empty barrel begin its journey back onto me. Friends, this is a classic case of mismanagement. This gentleman, like, uh, and I'm going to say guys here because I literally mean guys. Guys, we like to fix things. We like to do it the shortcut. I know there's some women out there that like to do it, but my wife has told me enough times, slow down. I know that we want to do this, and... We, like him, could have completed this job without incident, but he wasted a lot of time and mismanaged. All of us are managing something, no matter what your age. We have things, we have time, we have relationships, we have jobs, we have school, and a whole lot more. And as we live life together, how we manage what God has given us impacts not only us, but others more than we know. Though Paul is talking about his role in managing God's truth, it is still true that we are all managing God's truth in one way or another. We will be held accountable for our management. So today as we continue our series in 1 Corinthians and focus again on life together, let's open the word and answer this question. What are we going to learn today about what it means to be an accountable manager? You can turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 4, or you're certainly welcome to read it up here. 1 Corinthians 4, 1-5 says this, Think of us in this way as servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. Moreover, it is required of students stewards that they are found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light all the hidden things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive commendation from God. Let's pray. Lord, we are all wired differently. You've given us uh, creativity and ingenuity and uh, thoughts about how we are to manage what we've been given. And so, Lord, it will not be the same for any person sitting in these pews uh, on how we hear this from you. But we do know that you are going to be calling us to something, and that is to continue to manage well what you've given us. So help us to hear what that means for our lives and let you speak to us, excuse me, in your name. Amen. There are two truths that I observed after reading this passage many times and studying it. One, we're all managers. We're all managers of God's truth and God's provisions. Two, we're all accountable to God. So let's dig in. Paul says to look at the leaders of the church in this way. We are servants and we are stewards. Before we can manage, before we can be accountable, we must first be servants. The Greek uses the word servant here with the definition of under rower. In those days, the big boats were propelled by many rowers way down in the bottom and following the instructions of the helmsman who's up in the middle there. They did only what they were told. They had to row as a team. They did life together down there listening to what God said. They were simply responding to a higher authority and doing their job. A servant knows their role is to serve God and to trust God's commands are true and wise. Secondly, Paul says they are stewards. Now, steward is not a word that I use very often in the course of a week, but steward literally means housekeeper or manager. And in this situation, they're thinking of a housekeeper who manages the affairs of the owner. The owner had owned all the possessions. The housekeeper takes care of all those possessions and manages it well. Some versions uh, tell us that we, as we are thinking about being managers of God's mysteries... The other versions say people put in charge of explaining God's mysteries or managers of God's secrets. The message said it this way. We are guides into God's most sublime secrets, not security guards posted to protect them. So Paul says we are to lead people into the great truths that God has for us. And he says the housekeeper, the manager, is to be found trustworthy or faithful in this. Managers are given property and resources which the owner expects to be handled wisely. Now, when I first read this, I was starting to think about how I manage my possessions. I mean, you can't read this uh, enough times without thinking, okay, how am I doing with my stuff? We kind of just quickly go there. And, of course, sometimes we think about in terms of uh, the spectrum of how we keep our rooms or our houses or our offices, right? Right? Neat freak, messy, somewhere in there. Now, the messies sometimes claim, well, I'm only messy because I'm so creative, you know. I I think that might be an urban legend, but okay. (laughs) Albert Einstein actually said, if a cluttered desk is a sign of a cluttered mind, then what are we to think of an empty desk? So I want us to think beyond neat or messy this morning. I want us to think about how we manage all of life that God has given us in general. The apostles and the church leaders were called to manage the mysteries of God. May we recognize that we are all managers of three big areas of God's truth first. He's given that in various forms. When uh, there in in the life of this church, in this sanctuary, at this moment, there are so many stories of how you came into the church. Some of you grew up in the church. Some of you uh, didn't start attending till a couple of years ago. Some of you are we're all over the map. But God has been and always be, will be shedding light in our lives, whether we were in a church or had even heard about God. He. Had shown us forgiveness at some point. He had shown us truth. He had shown us love. He had shown us compassion. Keep going. God had shown us these things. He had given us His truth even before we were ready to receive it. And we are called to manage that truth as we know it. Secondly, we're called to manage our relationship with God. All of life begins in our relationship with God. This is for all of us, whether we're married, single, divorced, widowed, a child, a teenager, a young adult, uh, a middle adult. We have a family, and we are called to be managers of our family and be faithful with what we have. This may be easy. It may be difficult. But we all are called to manage that relationship well. Secondly, in relationships, God calls us to manage our relationship with friends. One can never have enough friends. I love, I think if I were a Christian, I would still, I, I would like to think I'd still come to just to have friends. All the loving people, you get hugs here every Sunday. People bring you meals when you're sick or you have babies or all these different things. There's friends and God has called us to manage those well and to work at that. Some, some of us probably have too many friends sometimes and we don't spend enough time on other important things, right? And in other times, we don't spend enough time with friends. God wants us to take care of those relationships. God wants us to take care of our relationships in school. Now, I recognize in this service, we may not have as many people in school as we would in some of the other services, but remember those days or living those days right now God has given us a mission field. Every September, we bring our students and our teachers up to pray for them and to let them know this is a place we want you to manage well your relationship with God. Go and learn. Go and be a light for Christ in the middle of that. For those of us who work, we're thankful God's provided us a job. It may or may not be the happiest place, but it's where we are and the time can be redeemed when we give our best, when we pray for our co-workers, when we let Christ's love shine through us in our attitudes and action. And then a final area where God has called us to manage our relationships is in the church. Church is full of imperfect people, always has been. Always will. People will tell us, oh, I don't go to church that's full of hypocrites. And I always say with a smile on my face, so is the whole world. (laughs) We are real people who've come in here this morning. We look nice right now. And we are nice, but we're not perfect. None of us. And God has called us to pull through that. All of our differences, all of our uniquenesses, and to love the people in our church. I heard a, a great podcast featuring Eugene Peterson once where he said, when people asked him, where, uh, how, how can you find a good church when you move to a new place? He said, go find the smallest church in town. And that threw me by surprise at first. He said, and if you don't like that one, go find the next smallest. And the reason he said that is when we are in the smaller venues, we have to learn to get along with the people that are there. We don't have the luxury of just bouncing around and finding hundreds of others that we might like. Now, don't go find a smaller church, but but let's think that way. What are the relationships that we just need to let God help us to manage better and to start pushing through and to let God's light shine through that? We're all managers of God's truth, and we are all accountable to God. And Paul reminds us that we face judgment through two different sources. One, people. Two, God. Verse 3, you see there, Paul said, It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. Let me make a few observations as we head down the home stretch here. Judge, of course, is an instance defined as the judicial activity of investigation and the weighing of evidence. Paul says, Being judged by people or even a human court, small thing. Paul says, to even judge himself is not worth it. He doesn't even trust his own judgment. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we could live that every day? How hard are we on ourselves, right? I feel like after preaching this sermon three times and reading this all week, the next time I start getting down on myself, I need to remember a small thing. In fact, your judgment is not even good on my own, right? My own judgment is not helpful. And then the other point, of course, is that it's easy for us to compare with what others are doing and to bring judgment upon ourselves. And so Paul again says, I don't trust that. It's a small thing. There are two primary ways we can assess how much we value the judgment of people. One is the old statement. I use this with the youth ministry all the time. Somebody can say 10 great things about you and one negative. And what do we camp on? The one, Right. Or for those of you who are in and about social media, after a heavy dose of social media, how do you feel about your status at the end of that time when you see what everybody else is doing and you're not? Right? It's very easy for us to let others judge us. And Paul says, it's a very small thing. He then reminds us, I'm not aware of anything against myself but that doesn't mean I'm acquitted. Or it could be said, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. Friends, we are all judged by God. It is to him we are accountable. He examines the evidence. He brings to light those things hidden in the darkness. He will disclose the purposes of our hearts. Our motivation is known by him. And every time... We let a person be our judge. We have given power to the world. Those of you in a different professions may get funny comments about your jobs in various settings. One I get over and over as a pastor, uh, particularly when I've been in lots of sporting events. Uh, in the days when we had a lot of basketball out here on this court with the youth, somebody would let a word fly, and they say, "Oh, I shouldn't say that around you, Doug. You're a pastor." Still get that. And I say to them with a smile on my face, I am nobody special. You just said that in front of God. (laughs) Right? That is the truth of the matter. So we could look at this and we could be afraid. We could go, God is our judge. But what if we reframe this and truly believe God is our judge? Smiley face emoji. Hashtag happiness. (laughs) He knows our true motivations. God is our judge. He's a righteous, a merciful, forgiving, compassionate, and he's a perfectly just judge. We can count on his consistency. If we'd called him to help us be worthy servants and stewards, we have nothing to fear. Let's land this with two statements to ponder and ways to reflect. One, and I hope this will be freeing to you. Ultimately, we are not in control of anything. That could either be scary or could be a great thought. In this context, let that be a celebration. I'm not in control of anything. Everything we have is from God. He has given us our relationships. He's given us anything that we think we own. All we have from God, he's given us to manage. Now we could stop here and we could ask the question, how are we doing with this? Let's let, us let us go to the second statement and the final statement where God is saying to each of us, I already know how you are doing with that. I know you don't always succeed with it, but I do know your motivations and those count. Where do you need to trust me more, says God to us this morning? As we take these final quiet moments, let's ask that question. Where do we need to trust God more and let him be our loving, compassionate, just, righteous judge and find our full identity in him? Let's do that now.